0: And there's a way I could do it specifically, but if I tried to do it specifically, I'd have to be here all week. And we would handle all kinds of different areas. And so, um, if you want to know the things Jesus said would ruin your life, all you've got to do is do a simple study on hell. Um, when, we, when we read, because there's only one English word, hell, we tend to get confused that when Jesus talked about hell, he was talking about two realities. One was called Gehenna, which is essentially hell now. And one was called Hades, which is essentially hell then. Right? Both are true. And one's not necessarily more important than the other. But Jesus' emphasis was far, far, far more on one instead of the other. When we tend to think about hell, we tend to think about them then. But the vast majority of Jesus' teachings on hell was us now. Um, and so, so essentially heaven is true that way too. The heaven is true here and it's occupied. Heaven is true there and it's occupied. Hell is true here. And it's occupied. Hell is true there. Um, and it's occupied. The word, uh, the word for hell here was Gehenna. And essentially, I, it would be off topic for me to give you a history of it. But essentially, Gehenna was the town rubbish dump it was a place where uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before jesus they used to burn children to the god Molech there and so um... the land was essentially useless and so they used it as a town rubbish dump because you couldn't use it for anything else the problem they found with that was when the wind shifted from that direction the smell of that place went into the city so they had to come up with a solution their solution was sulfuric, a sulfuric mixture of fire It's the same principle as a match if you have a bowel motion and it's particularly horrible. You could simply strike a match, let it light up for a second, and then you'd put the match out, let the smoke go through the room, and it will actually eat the odor. If you didn't know that, try it. Okay, I might have just saved your marriage. All right, so <laughs> you... All right, so they kept this fire going all the time there. It was also a burial ground for poor people. So if you couldn't afford a tomb, they would throw your body on Gehenna. It was also where all the uh, it was also where all the um, stray animals would scavenge for food and stuff. And so in the first century, if you went to Gehenna, um, you, you would smell sort of the fire and brimstone sort of mixture you would also see poor people's families having funerals for them and you would also hear the sounds of barking and biting and animals scavenging for food and so Gehenna became known as the place where the fire doesn't die and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and so so that was hell here hell there was a place called Hades Jesus said the word hell 18 times of the 18 times 15 of the 18 was hell here three of the 18 was hell there so roughly 87.7% of the time when Jesus talks about hell he's not talking about a future reality he's talking about a reality that's right here and he said that six things will send your life to hell six things and these things are this not controlling your lust issues he says you don't get those things under control, it endangers your life of the, of, of the garbage dump. Okay? Um, anger, holding anger in your heart. If you tend to not be able to let things go and you, you hold bitterness in your heart because people done you wrong, if you don't get that kind of thing under control, you run the risk of, of putting your life on the garbage dump. All right? Calling people idiots. All right? So he says if, you, if, you, if your pattern in life is calling someone a fool, you're endangering, you're endangering your life of the garbage dump. Obviously that one's talking about hell here. Otherwise we're serving a God who tortures people forever for calling someone an idiot and we're all screwed. Okay? So you don't you don't want to do that. Essentially he's saying listen, you know, you don't you, you don't want to make a pattern of doing that. So he says your lust issues, your anger issues, your um your tendency to think you're smarter than everybody else, those are things you have to handle. Fearing man instead of fearing God, he said that, that'll hurt you. That will eventually endanger your life of the garbage dump. Um, unforgiveness in your heart. Well, will eventually da- um, endanger your life of the garbage dump, as well as greed, all right? So greed, unforgiveness, fear of man instead of fear of God, calling people fools, lust and anger. Those six things are the things that destroys a man's life to the point of putting in the garbage dump. And when you, when you think about it in those terms, what, what you think about is, is you start looking at yourself or if you're a narcissist, you start thinking about somebody else who needs to hear this, and so you go, well, okay, well, well, yeah, I could see, I could see where this lust issue in my life has hurt me. I could see where my tendency to power over people has hurt me. I could see where this. So there's a way that if I was going to talk to you about how to be an overcomer, I would go. What I would simply do is go through those six issues. The problem with that is, is that requires a six-part series, and I've got one meeting, so we can't do that. So I want to even step back further from that and give you a principle that actually is ubiquitous to the entire lot of it. And, and if, we, if we don't master this, then we can't deal with anger and fear and, um, and, and, and lust and, and calling people idiots. We can't, we can't deal with those things if we don't deal with this. And I think Jesus deals with it brilliantly in the, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same key scriptures I used last night. I just got so much out of it. We're just going to keep talking about it. This is what it says, Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Not to re-preach last night, but just to be clear, that has nothing to do with heaven and hell. That has everything to do with the fact that um, in life most people don't have what it takes to make a decision to make their life better. Most people just do what everybody else is doing and find themselves completely unraveling. When, when you see euphemisms in scripture like death, darkness, decrease, destruction, it's not necessarily talking about being literally dead or literally dark. It has to do with a realm of life that is destroying you. Light life increases a realm of life that's leading you to life. He says, um, watch out for false prophets. Uh, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. In other words, if what they're doing is working, they're likely a good piece of tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut off and thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out devils and perform miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. So this is very challenging to us because to Jesus calling him Lord. If I ask people, if I ask someone... Why are you saved if their only answer is, well, I believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus, really, is that it? Honestly, believing in Jesus only qualifies you to be a demon with skin on. Demons believe in Jesus. What does that have to do with anything? It's, it's, wait a minute, hang on, hang on, It says, Jesus says, people who've called me Lord and cast out devils and prophesied and performed miracles, it doesn't necessarily mean that they know me. And that is very scary. Because then the question is, what does it mean to know God? I thought that's what it meant to know God. What does it mean to know God? The only scripture in the whole Bible that defines what it means to know God is Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. 16. It says, when you take care of the poor and the afflicted, that is what it means to know God. In other words, when you do something for someone who can't possibly do anything in return for you, that is when you get to know God. Because it's, that is exactly what God did for you. It's that Sort of principle. So he keeps going. It's all about how you treat others. This is what he keeps going. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is what Bryden was just saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hearing, doing, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the wind streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings because he taught us one who had authority and not as the other teachers of the law. Now, let me read one more scripture to you. This is Deuteronomy 30 that has the same sort of principle that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount says. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This would have been the Bible in Jesus' day. Maybe this was his key text before he preached this. This is, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This thing that you keep seeing through scripture is you have two choices, life, death, blessings, curses, darkness, light. Choose life that you might live. Choose to be in the light as he is in the light. Jesus is simply using this same principle with a different example. He says there's many times in life where you're going to come to a fork in the road. If you ever in life are faced with a decision where most people are going one way, chances are you should be going the other. Some of this is just common sense. What percentage of people do their finances actually work? Very few. Statistically, most of you are broke. And I don't know you. But statistically, most of you are broke. According to U.S. News and World Report, um, 63% of every single person over 60 does not have $1,000 in the bank. How is that even possible? That is totally trying to live on accident with no plan at all and waking up one day at 68 and going, oh, no. The truth is that most people live like that. According to U.S. News World Report, I find that statistic hard to believe, but they printed it, so may as well use it. Uh, what, 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 what percentage of people are living paycheck to paycheck most? What percentage of guys in this room, and don't answer me, I'm being rhetorical here, how, how many of you actually have financial peace? Where, where you sit in your chair at night and you're not wondering how you're going to pay your bills? My, my, my guess is uh, not very many. My guess is most people don't don't experience that at all. What percentage of marriages actually work? Somewhere around one in five. If you if you have a great marriage, hold on to it because it's really really rare. About one in five. About one in five. Fifty percent of marriages divorce. Another twenty five percent of people are just holding on. What well, one in five are like? Ah, she's my best friend. He's my best friend. We're going through. This is awesome. Very few. And Jesus is saying something that's very obvious. He says, when you look at life and you look at people winning and you look at people losing, most people are losing. But the reason most people are losing is because they don't have what it takes to make the choice to, to stay on the high road. They, they don't have what it takes to stay over here. So one principle about this that is very, very important. There's three there are, there, are, there are three images Jesus gives, and they all have a different message to speak to us. The first image he gives is gates. He says, broad is the road and narrow is the way that leads to life. But so there's a broad gate and a narrow gate. Now, in, in Jewish literature, this is a metaphor for the city. This is a metaphor for the city. What they did in all of Jewish literature is they used Jerusalem as the example of attaining your goal. So instead of saying, hey, have you met that goal? They might say, hey, have you made it into the city with that? It was a euphemism. It was a metaphor for doing that. And the problem with that is, is that as you got closer to the city, the road got narrower. So you had to, with full intention, try to make your way into the city. You couldn't just accidentally make it to the city. You had to, with full intention. That's why even in the Bible, when it talks about Jesus going to Jerusalem, it always adds adjectives that don't seem necessary. Like, and Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. Why would you add that? Why not say what Jesus intended to go to Jerusalem? No, no, no. He resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. Why? Their idea in all of their literature was that if you're going to make it to where you want to go, you can't try to get there accidentally. You have to live with full intention. In other words, if you don't know the road that you're on and where it's taking you, it more than likely is leading you to destruction. If you're trying to live accidentally, it just... Doesn't work. I'm not going to do this to you But if I did you should be prepared if I just pointed you out and said quickly sir Tell me where you want to be financially in six months (laughs) If you can't do that, then you're losing financially people who are winning financially Understand that they have to have a goal and a plan and a strategy and the only thing that gives them the power to say No to frivolous spending is that they're saying yes to financial abundance if you can't tell me your goal in six months for where you want to be financially I can tell you you're losing and so what you ought to do is go home today and sit down at a table and take 30 minutes and write out a six-month goal, write out a year goal, write out a plan to make that goal. I just, uh, I just hired a director of charity for my ministry because the, the, the product sales were going so good that we were giving so much to these orphanages that my lawyer said it's actually irresponsible for you not to have someone looking after this. And so we went to the board of directors, they agreed, and so we ended up hiring this girl. Now the problem was, we knew who we wanted to hire from the get-go. The problem was, is that when she was 19 years old, she made some really, 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 really bad financial decisions. And so she was sitting there with a mound of debt. And so what happened to her is when she was 24 years old, she had had enough, and she said, I will end this now. And she made a plan. And and her plan was that by December of 2012 that she would be completely debt-free. And the power of that goal, the power of keeping that vision in front of her, the power of every day waking up saying, today I'm going to be more debt-free than I was yesterday. Tomorrow I'll be more debt-free than I am today. Every single day was an effort to get the debt taken care of. And you know what happened? The power of that yes gave her the power to say no to frivolous spending, to to, to doing things that, that didn't meet that goal. And what happened was, is by October 2012, she was completely debt free. By December 2012, she had $6,000 in the bank and now she's fully prepared to be a missionary in the world without the financial pressure of paying debts off to pay for a drink she bought six years ago on a credit card. Now she's, now she's standing tall and she's got a fully funded emergency fund in case something happens. And that is the power of strategy and intention and fully intending to make a goal and then go for something. Jesus is in one sense is is teaching us that um, that most people fail not because they're bad, most people fail because they fail to plan, they fail to make a strategy, they fail to make a goal, they don't live with intention. They wouldn't even know if they got what they wanted if they had it because they're not even sure about what they want. That most people live willy-nilly, sort of like a fire. If if, if a fire is, is broad, it could sort of burn down a lot of bush. But if you harness the same fire into an acetylene torch, it can cut through steel. That is the power of desire and intention and living with full goals and full intention instead of trying to live accidentally. That's gates. Gates is a challenge to keep in mind our role in the world to be light and darkness and choose the higher road. But the only thing that gives you the power to choose the higher road is to live with full intention to do it. Nobody wakes up in the morning and accidentally chooses the higher road. Nobody wakes up in the morning and just accidentally forgives. No one wakes up in the morning and accidentally chooses to feed the poor. No one wakes up in the morning and chooses to live for the betterment of others. No one does that. That requires full-fledged intention. There's a lot of good people who are living selfishly. A lot of good people. Let me me prove it to you. Um, In the last 30 days, whose life is fundamentally better because you're in it? How many orphans have you fed in the last 30 days? How, how, How many blind kids in the third world... Are not blind now because you went to FredHollowsFoundation.com and gave them 30 bucks to take the cataracts off their eyes. What's the last thing you spent $30 on? Was it more important than a four year old girl seeing? How many of you would believe with all your heart that we should be engaging in things like that? Right? Oh, everybody. Wow, good. How many of you have actually done it? Oh, good. Half. Good. What, what's, so, what's wrong with the other half of you? Are you bad? No, you're not bad. It's just what happens is, is that if we don't live with the full intention of doing something, the urgent things right in front of us take precedent and we lose sight of bigger picture things. It's not that you're bad. I I have a friend that left church. And the reason they left church was this, I'm so tired of the church, they're so selfish and they're so self-centered, they're all about them, I just can't stand it. So they left the church. But you look at their life today and here's what their life looks like. They get up in the morning. They go to work. Their husband goes to work. They get home at five. They have a meal together. They watch two episodes of Modern Family, one episode of NCIS, they go to bed. Tomorrow they wake up, they repeat, what a life. So they left the church because the church is selfish, yet you look at their life and they're not doing anything outside of themselves. So in essence, they became what they hated. Is it because they're bad people? No. It's because no one lives selflessly without a fully intentioned plan. Nobody does. You want to beat fear in your life? You got to make some intentions. You want to beat guilt in your life? You got to beat, make some intentions. You want to beat anger in your life? You got to live with full intention to do it. You want to beat that tendency to call people idiots in your life? You, you got to make full intention to do it. You want to quit fearing man instead of fearing God? You got to make full intention to do it. You want to beat that unforgiveness thing in you? You got to make full intention to do it. None of these things handle themselves accidentally. It's a broad road and a narrow way. It's a broad road narrative. So the first image is gate. Second image is fruit, which is a challenge to us to be honest about the way we're living and is it working? I love the, the Bob Newhart counseling thing on YouTube where he, he, the, the person says their problem. He says, is it working? No, stop it. It amazes me the number of people who keep doing the same exact thing and it hasn't worked yesterday and it's not working today and it for sure won't work tomorrow, but they just keep doing it. Essentially, Jesus is saying, if it ain't working, dump it, change something, change a plan, shake things up, do something with your life. Do something. At least be honest enough to say, is the way I'm thinking actually producing what I want it to produce? At least be honest enough to do that. Well, I've always been taught that a marriage works this way. Okay, but is it working? And if it's not working, you might want to change something. Is it just possible that what you were taught your whole life is wrong? Is that even possible? That maybe grandpappy was wrong. Maybe your mother, as good-hearted as she was, she was wrong. Wrong. Jesus says, so sometimes you've got to just step back and be honest enough to, to evaluate these things. So the first image is gates, which has to do with our intentions. Second imagery is fruit, which has to do with an honest introspection to see things for what they are. As a counselor, you do this all the time. That before you can help anybody, you have to step back and go, Okay, listen, I need you to own the fact that what you've been doing is not working. You see Jillian Michaels do this all the time. You ever watch The Biggest Loser? Does that come on over here, the Biggest Loser? It's a show dedicated to people losing weight, right? And she's just beating the dog stew out of somebody. And they're crying and they're like, this isn't working. And she's like, this isn't working. Look at you. What you've been doing isn't working. And then she's just nailing them. And then they cry more. Then they get their second win. And at the end of the show, they hug. It's, it's, it's that The the third image, he gives us his foundation. So the first image is gates. Second image is fruit. Third image is foundation. The foundation was a challenge to us to stay sensitive to God's voice and be willing to respond. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this, is if you can hear God saying something and you have the ability to walk away and do nothing about it, you're in real strife. If you ever get to the point in your life where you know, you just know, this is what God is saying, but you have the ability, even knowing this is what God's saying, to walk away and do absolutely nothing about it, that your life is getting shakier and shakier and shakier. Essentially what he's saying is, without any any myth or illusion of being perfect, that the person who stays sensitive to the voice of God and is willing to not just hear it, but to do it as well, those people's life get more and more solid. I could sit here and talk about specifics all day long. But if you don't deal with that tendency in all of us to be able to hear the word of God and then walk away and still live the same, nothing I say will ever work. Essentially, he says, your choice in life is this. Do you want your life to be solidified on a rock or do you want it to be um, shaky on sand? And by the way, that has, in this sermon, it has nothing to do with what you believe. People say, well, my life's on the rock. How do you know that? Because I believe in Jesus. Really? Once again, believing in Jesus only qualifies you to be a demon with flesh on. Are you kidding me? You believe in Jesus? Oh. Jesus is, When Jesus talks about your life being on the rock instead of the sand, it has nothing to do with what you believe. It has everything to do with how you behave. It has everything to do with your ability to keep adjusting, keep responding. I hear God saying this, and I'm going to respond he doesn't even end the sermon with an altar call. He's got thousands of people in front of him. and He doesn't say, now who wants to go to heaven? Who'd like to pray a prayer to ensure that you have a ticket punch to go to heaven when you die? He doesn't do that. He's got thousands of people in front of him He doesn't do that. That's very telling. His invitation at the end of the biggest sermon he ever preached on recorded record was... I'm asking you to do an internal stock take. When you hear the word of God, are you willing to respond with action or are you just going to keep living how you've always lived? Because if you respond with action, it will solidify your life. If you do not, it will make your life very shaky. So he has gates, which has to do with intentions, fruit, which has to do with being honest enough to ask ourselves, is the way we're living working? And three, foundations. If it's not working and you hear a better way to live, are you willing to be courageous enough to change it? And I did not choose where I was born. And I could still be choosing to live that way to this day. It would have been not that hard of a choice to choose that. But I realized that that was not. I was challenged by God's word. This is not. You can't. I I know this is going to sound funny. But the day I realized Jesus wasn't white was unbelievable to me. I thought to myself, flip. He's not white. I mean, we all pray to the Jesus we picture, right? And so for me, it was dear Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, cleanly-shaven or lightly-bearded Jesus who smells of sweet lavender and dial soap. Like, it was that. When I realized Jesus wasn't white, it was like, flip. And I had a choice. I could either keep going my way or I could make a choice to do something else. I was 14 years old when I realized that God had called me to love all people and to treat all people with the dignity afforded to them because they're all made in the image of God and all, every living soul belongs to God and I remember having to make that choice but if I had the ability to hear that and then walk away and still live a different way it makes your life shaky you think about, I could, we could go around the room if I said what's your story, what's your story of when God rocked your world and you were given a moment, a critical moment to make a decision to change things When is that story? And every one of you who are winning in life in any direction, you have a story that you could tell. You have a story. You have something. You say, oh, look, I was this and now I was this. I remember the day. I remember where I was sitting the day I decided that I would live debt-free my whole life. It didn't matter if I drove a piece of crap car. I will live. I choose to drive a cheap car over having debt in car payments. I just choose to do it. I remember where I was sitting that day. I remember I, I, I remember all my friends making fun of me because my car was so horrific. Like the, the 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 floorboard was actually had holes in it. I had to put a two by four between the console and the door to make sure that my feet didn't go through the bottom of the dagger thing. The, the ceiling felt was coming down. And all my friends, they're like, Shane, what's wrong with you? Everybody has a car payment. And I'm like, yeah, but if everybody has a car payment and by statistics, everybody is broke, maybe this is the better way to do things. And while they were paying $400 a month with interest on something going down in value, I was paying the same $400 a month to a savings account that I had created called Shane's Car Fund. Within a year, I had $4,800, and then I went and bought a $4,800 car, which was by far much better. After that, I still put the same $400 in the same account. Two years later, I traded in the $4,800 car, took the $9,600 I had saved up, and bought a much nicer car, and then I did that. So five years later, their six-year-old Ford Focus was now paid off, and I was driving a much nicer car because I had a plan. And now I have a paid-for Cadillac Escalade. And people look at me and go, oh, you're so lucky. Lucky? No. I made a strategy and a plan and lived with full intention. I chose to live without debt. I can tell you I never regretted it. Never, but it took guts. It takes guts when you, know God's, when you know God's challenging you to do something and then you have the ability to walk away and not do anything. That's easy, and it'll shake your life up. But when you have the guts to do something about it, it makes your life more and more solid. Take, think about it just for a second. Just think, nobody say anything out loud. Just think about it for a second. What three key decisions have you made in the last five years that have changed your life? And it's because of a challenge God gave you. And how many of you regret ever doing it? We never do. We never regret when we respond positively to God's voice. Never, ever, ever. Let's say it this way. Let's say it this way. Your intentions are the starting point. Pure motives and consistent obedience mixed with focused intentions will lead your life to a life that cannot be shaken. I'll say that again because it took me a little while to come up with that. Your intentions are the starting point. Pure motives and consistent obedience mixed with focused intentions will lead you to a life that cannot be shaken. It's not just the attention of your heart. That is the starting point. It's also making sure that your your behavior matches up with your intentions. If you intend to be financially secure, yet you go to the mall every other day and buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like... That that is not a good plan. It's not a good plan. If your goal is to have a happy marriage, it's probably a good thing to, with focused intention and strategy, sit down and talk to your wife on a daily basis. It's probably good. Probably. If your your goal is to be this, you have to say no to that. But let's let's say it this way. Um, Let's say it a couple different ways. One, you cannot live on accident. At best, you'll be disappointed with life. At worst, your life will be destroyed. When I was a counselor, anytime someone came to me and said, I'm, I'm just so discouraged with my life. And I go, oh, why? I just don't know. I don't, I, I don't know why. I, I, can you help me explore the reasons why I'm so disappointed in life? 100% of the time, it's because they were trying to let life come to them on accident. They wouldn't have known if they got what they wanted if it was standing in front of them because they had not clearly defined it. You have to clearly define your life. You cannot live on accident. Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be financially, relationally, vocationally? You say, well, I want to start a business. Great, great. Then let's go do that. Let's make a plan. Let's, what equipment do we need? What's our market? How are we going to market ourselves? What are we going to do? Let's come on, let's live with full attention. This is a whole lot better than watching the next episode of NCIS. This is great. We're living with purpose and intention and power. We could do it. You cannot live accidentally. At at best, you'll be disappointed. At worst, you'll be destroyed too. People do not fall suddenly. They were on the road for a long time and didn't realize it. What seems like a sudden fall is only a sudden fall because it's you. Anybody observing your life could tell that the road you were on was taking you over the cliff the whole time. It's never the intention of your heart that leads you where you want to go. It's the road that you're on. If you get on the highway, wherever the highway is around here, if you get on the highway going north with full intention of getting to Wellington, you're never going to make it. Even though every intention of your heart is, where are you going? I'm going to Wellington. By faith, I speak that out. Oh, yes, by faith, we call it into being. Oh, yes, we're going to Wellington. Yeah, but the road you're on is taking you to Auckland. Yeah, but we're going to Wellington, by God. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So you get to Auckland, it feels like suddenly Auckland has appeared. No, Auckland was at the end of the road all along. You just didn't realize it. Your intentions aren't enough to lead you where you want to go. Which leads me to this question. What are you rationalizing today that you'll regret tomorrow? When when you're traveling, if if your goal is to make it through today, if that's your whole goal in life, I want to make it through one day, do whatever you want to do. If every day starts over new, just do whatever you want to do. Who cares? But if you have any wisdom at all, you're thinking down the track. And when you're thinking down the track, however far out you're thinking, is how important your decisions are here. One degree. I played golf at Kate Kidnappers yesterday. It was awesome, by the way. Pretty awesome. Had a guy here from Brisbane who treated me to it. He said, I just want to bless you. You've blessed me. I'm going to take you up to Kate Kidnappers. It's on my treat. I was like, this is so fantastic. So, but if, if you're aiming 250 meters down a fairway, right? How, how important is one degree off center here? Uh, it's pretty big. One degree. That's not very much. One degree. It would take a high-speed frame-by-frame camera to see the error. One degree off-center here is 20 meters off-center at the target. It's the, it, kidnappers, it's the difference between the center of the fairway and off the cliff. <laughs> one, one degree... Now a 20-foot putt's different on a 20-foot putt, one degree. Um, one degree here is four inches, which still misses the hole, but it's a tap in later. So, so the shorter out your goal is, the more less the less important is your decisions here. But if your goal is long range, little things here make huge differences there. If there's a builder in the room, maybe you could tell me the answer to this. If you're one if 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 you're one thirty-second of an inch off square at the bottom, how important is that? If you're a 32nd of an inch off square at the bottom, how important is it? Well, if it's a one-story house, not very important. But what if you're building a 60-story building? And you're a 32nd of an inch off square at the bottom. By the time you get it, it's it's just leaning. (laughs) See, little things here make big differences there. What are you rationalizing today that you'll regret tomorrow? I know in a room this size full of men, I need to say this. Stop calling her. You're rationalizing it today, but tomorrow it's a disaster. But Shane, it's just a phone call. Today, tomorrow it'll be coffee. The next day it'll be lunch. The next day it'll be supper. Then the next day my husband's out of town. Come over. Stop calling her. And if you're sitting in your seat right now hoping that I'm not fixing to go prophetic on you, it's you. <laughs> if your heart's beating right now, fast. It's you. What are you rationalizing today that you'll regret tomorrow? Um, three. You do not let's say it this way, you do not have to fall on purpose. You just have to live without one and destruction's imminent. You don't I, I can tell you that statistically, most of you Would report in an anonymous survey That you're dissatisfied with your life And the issue normally isn't that you're bad Or evil Or in sin Or anything like that For for most people it's simply I haven't clearly defined what I intend to do And so no matter what you're doing It's not satisfying Because it's not meeting what you're intending You don't have to fall on purpose You just simply have to live without one And destruction is just going to be a part of your life how about, let's say it this way, when we do not have intention towards life, destruction is just an inevitable part of our experience. When we don't live with full intention, full focus, what do I intend to do with my life today, tomorrow, in six months, in a year, where am I intending to go? If you don't live your life that way, I'm telling you, five years goes by and those five years just pass by and you're still in the exact same spot going, what's wrong with my life? It's a challenge to us. Let's say it this way. I like this. This is the way that connects with me the best. I'm trying to say the same thing six different ways because people connect it just differently. Let's say it this way. One yes always requires a thousand no's. One yes requires a thousand no's. The only thing that gives you the power to say no to destructive things is that you're saying yes. You can never beat sin by fighting sin. Ever. You only empower what you resist. You can never beat sin by fighting sin. You beat sin by empowering something else. And the power you give something else actually overcomes the sin. Let's say it this way. One yes requires a thousand no's. So here's some examples. To be a yes person on forgiveness means no to grudges. You don't beat grudges by fighting grudges. You beat grudges by fully intending to live as a person of forgiveness. And when you fully intend to live as a person of forgiveness, the grudge loses its hold. You can't possibly say yes to this and yes to that. The power of yes is so much better than the power of no, so much easier than fighting it. How about this? To be a yes person on edification means no to gossip. To be a yes person on giving means no to hoarding. To be a yes person on humility means no to powering up. To be a yes person on rest means no to urgency. To be a yes person on our profession means no to laziness. If you say, I fully intend to start a grass-cutting lawn care business. Great. What's your plan? Well, I'm going to buy the equipment. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to market. I'm going to do this. If you, intend, if you intend to start a grass-cutting business, then that means saying no to sleeping in. If you're starting a grass-cutting business and I call you at 9.30 and wake you up, you are not going to win. There's only so much daylight. And you got to cut so many yards to break even. To say yes to this means no to that. Let's say it this way. To say yes to being a person of purity means no to temporary pleasure. But But the way to fight temporary pleasure is not to fight it. The way to fight temporary pleasure is to say yes to purity with all your focused intention. One yes requires a thousand no's. To say yes to financial abundance... ...means no to frivolous spending... ...and six dollar coffee. If you're in the room right now... ...and you're under twenty-five or something... ...for, for those of you who are old... It, it, ...it's sort of... ...just put this aside for a second... but ...because there's not, there's not enough time... ...for me to help you with this. but um, <laughs> I, You'll understand in a second... ...what I mean when I say this. Um, um, there's no... There's no way you can win financially paying $6 for something that costs 30 cents. There's just no way. These guys are masters. They figured out how to market a drink that costs 30 cents to make, including the labor. And they sell it to you for $6. This is genius. And this liquid is so amazing. If you drink it, it will give you a slightly more alert feeling for roughly 12 minutes, and then 15 minutes later, it will turn into urine. But I just drank something, and it's coming out the other end. This is so cool. Let me me just give you some math, okay? And, And so if you have kids this age, this is maybe something you want to walk them through. And you can respond yes, or you can respond no. I don't care. It doesn't affect my life. But I can tell you this. If you were 25 years old and you plan to retire at 67, if you drink one $6 coffee a day, that sounds like $180 a month. The average stock market rate of return from 1919 until now, including ups and downs, is 11.7%. If you invest $6 a day at 11.7% from 25 to 67, you're worth $1.1 million. Hope you like the coffee. (laughs) Now, if your goal in life is to drink good coffee, then do it. You've gotten what you want. But you can't drink $6 coffee and then go, I have no money. Well, of course you have no money. And these young people in Australia go, we have no money. I say, how many coffees do you drink a day? Two. It's $12 a day. Times 30 days a month. You're spending $360 a month in urine. And you wonder why you have no money? Is it Satan? Is he attacking your finances? Well, look, if your goal is to drink good coffee, have at it. But if your goal is to live with financial abundance, then you have to make a decision to build a distaste for $6 coffee and drink coffee at home. Hello? You can't say, I want this, and then act in a way that does that. Jesus says that's very shaky. If you know what you want, and then you don't behave that way, that's very shaky. And it's going to feel like you fell suddenly, but you did not fall suddenly. You've been on that road the whole time. That road was leading off the cliff the whole time. How about, let's say it this way. To be a yes person on our dream means, means no to spending time on things other than our dream, even if those things are good. People who win are focused and intense, and they're, they're living on purpose, fully intending to meet, their de- to meet their dream and their goal. To be a yes person on purpose means no to anything that moves us away from it. It's not that what you're saying no is too bad. It's not that what you're saying no to is bad. It's just it's not leading you where you want to go. But people who have no clear definition of where they want to go, they have no power to say no, because who knows? Why would I say no to that? I have no goal. I have no dream. I have no vision. The Bible says it this way. Where there's no vision, people perish. Well, is that literal? Like, if you don't have a dream for your life, you're going to die? No. It's a euphemism. It leads you to disrepair. Actually, in the original language, it says this. Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, the only thing that gives you the power to say no to something is that you're saying yes to something else at a greater level. Which leads me to this question. What are you saying yes to? What are you living with? You want to be an overcomer? Here's my first question. What are you living with full intention to accomplish? What are you giving your life to? What empowers me to stay? I only slept in my own bed 38 days last year. What gives me the power to do that? that What gives me the power to do that is I have a dream and I have a vision and I have a mission that I want to spread the gospel throughout the nations. And even more so than that, I want to feed the poor. I want to make, I want to restore dignity to those who don't have it. And for me to do that requires me to speak a lot. It requires me to do that. The Lord put it on my heart. He challenged me. He said, I want you to work one month a year for the poor. So from June 15th to July 15th this year, everything I'm going to do is for them. And, and it, so it's, it's a dream in my heart, it's a vision, it's a passion, it's an energy that drives me here so that I could say no there. I, got, yeah, I have to, I have to. Let, let's say it this way. Some patterns of life are obviously destructive, leading to darkness and disrepair and death. Things like hoarding riches and chasing after it. Things like comparison. These things are obviously destructive. Yet, and we know that, right? Is that even controversial? That, 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 that chasing after riches will destroy your life. Right? That sounds pretty much like Jesus, correct? So then if we know that, why do we spend millions of dollars doing it? There, there's a, there's a, a, a website called uglypeople.com. It's a website that is dedicated to random... Now, some of it, some of it is people doing it themselves, but um, it's dedicated to random photographs of, of picking on people who are ugly. Now, as soon as I say that, how many of you, you're, you're, it's sort of like that's nauseating, right? That's as bad as that drink, right? If we all believe that, then how is it that the owners of uglypeople.com are multimillionaires? We know it's destructive, yet we engage in it. We know chasing after riches is destructive, yet the top reality TV show um, on, on network cable is Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Listen to the title. Keeping up with them. That's our goal in life. Really? Have you ever seen the show? Anybody want Bruce Jenner's life? Are you kidding me? In a house surrounded by high maintenance women? Oh, my God. Who would want that? No. No. See, these, when when we engage in things like this, it's just an evidence. It's not that you're bad. It's just that you're not saying yes to something more important. The way to do it is not to beat that, it's to say yes to this. Jesus is saying that there are times in life where everyone's going left and you just know you need to know you just know you need to go right. And that's what it takes to be a kingdom person. Everybody holds grudges. True. But everybody is leading their life to disrepair. That's a broad road. If everybody holds grudges, chances are a kingdom person is choosing to forgive. Everybody has a car payment. Everybody's making payments on something going down in value. Everybody's doing that. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much true. But if everybody's going right, it's probably pretty good evidence that we should go left. Left. Everybody does business dodgy. Everybody cheats on their taxes. Is that true? Pretty much. But if everybody's going right, chances are a kingdom person is going left. Yeah everybody does this show. Everybody, everybody, everybody. I know, yeah, you're right. I had a teenager one time tell me, everybody sleeps around. Is that true? Statistically, yes. 87% of teenagers are sleeping together. Sleeping around. 87%, 9 out of 10. Is that true? Yeah, sure. But if everybody's going right, it, chances are that the kingdom and the best life is found by going left. Are you going to be a crowd follower? Are you going to be a Jesus person? That's a massive decision we have to make. Now this has huge implications. Right? One, when we live intentionally pursuing the narrow gate, we are more grounded and less anxious. There's something about living with a clear intended purpose and dream that keeps you from worrying about other things. My friend Kyle Alexander, she's a... A 39-year-old lady who's my hero, she's, um, she's given up her dream to be married and have, a ki- and, and have children because um, God has called her to restore dignity to mentally handicapped orphans in China, and she's given her life to that instead. And Kyla doesn't sit around worrying about, oh, where's, where's the next man going to come from? No, she's given her life to 140 children. And the power of yes has helped her beat this. When we live intentionally... It takes away, the, the cure for anxiety is not prayer, although it might help, I'm not against prayer. The cure for anxiety long term is living with intention towards something else. And when you put all your energy into something that is focused and intentioned, that when you put, when you, when you live for your dream, it actually takes care of the anxiety on its own. Same with anger. People with an anger problem, they don't have an anger problem. They have an energy problem. People with an anger problem—they have too much spare energy. They're not giving their life to something beyond themselves, so they—they're all just stoved up with all this energy. They have to do something with it. People with living—people who are living with full intention and purpose—they don't have anger problems. Can you imagine if I had Kyla here today and you started telling her the things that stress you? She works with mentally handicapped children, hoping to have enough money to feed them every single month. And what's stressing you? You You're born in New Zealand. I know. Your road system still sucks. I know. I know. I've been coming here seven years. They're still fixing the same road. I don't understand. I, uh, kingdoms have risen and fallen. You guys are still fixing one road. I know. You drive to a store that prepackages food for you and you have a hard time finding a park. I know. That is so stressful. You get your trolley full of food that was prepackaged for you, and you wouldn't believe how slow the cashier in the store is. I know. You think any of those things, Kyla would be like, what? You have roads? You have a car? So you get into a motorized vehicle that takes you to a store that prepackages food for you, ...and you live in one of the top five greatest nations in the world... ...and you're stressed? What is wrong with you? Is it that you're bad? No. It's just that we don't live with full intention. Full intention cures that. Number two. Because we're intentionally pursuing our purpose... ...we're not concerned or in prison to worry, discontentment... ...and most importantly, comparison... When you're living on full purpose for what God's called you to do, you will not be concerned with what other people have. It doesn't matter what they have because you're pursuing what God has you to do. Comparison's a killer, man. It's a killer. We, we get so wrapped up in er. How can I be rich-er, smart-er, thin-er, pretty-er, talented-er, more important er we, we spend money and energy and time and resources doing nothing but trying to be better than the other person. We, don't, we fail to see the flip side of that. That if I'm smarter, that means I think someone else is dumber. If I'm prettier, that means I think someone else is uglier. And at the end of the day, all it does is make me feel superior. Which doesn't work. Listen, comparison never works. If you're better, it doesn't help you. If you're not better, it doesn't help you. Either way, it's a horrible exercise to go through. Have you ever been stuck in the land of Ur? Have you ever... Have, have you ever... Ha, let, me, let me say it this way. Have you ever lost your ability to enjoy what God's given you... ...because you've compared it to somebody else? I reserve the right to preach this to the big crowd... ...because this is really, really important. Have you ever... ...lost the joy of your own children... ...because they're not achieving as much as the other person? Have you ever been convinced... ...that your six-year-old is the smartest six-year-old in the world... ...only to go to a first-grade function... ...and realize that wasn't true? Have you ever been convinced... ...that your six-year-old is the smartest six-year-old in the world... ...and then you go to their their six-year-old party... ...and there's some Asian kid there doing the Pythagorean theorem... And then you look around for your kid, and your kid's got a bucket on his head, beating it against a wall. <laughs> and someone said, whose kid is that? I don't know. And, the, and, 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 and before you know it, you're disowning your own kid because he's not as high-achieving. as this. Do, do you realize that for a lot of couples in the world, your kid is their miracle? They would do anything to have a child, and they can't. And so what you're now discontented with because he's not as high achieving as the Asian kid doing the Pythagorean theorem, but, but what you're discontented with is someone else's goal in life. Have you ever lost sight? Have you ever done this to your wife? Have you ever become discontented with her because someone else was prettier? Do, do, do you realize that there are some people who your wife would be like The best thing that's ever happened to them, and you're losing sight that your wife was the best thing that ever happened to you because you're comparing her to somebody else. So you go get the other person and you realize that she's pretty on the outside, but behind a closed door, she is horrible and cantankerous and just a terrible person, and then you're just calling the other one. It's a comparison. If if you're called to be married to the woman you're with, it doesn't matter what someone else has. Have you, lost, have you lost the ability to enjoy what God gave you because you're comparing them to something else? How about your car? Have you, ever been, have you ever been perfectly content with your car until you get into someone else's car and their car is so much nicer than your car that you get back in your car and you're like, this stinks. Mm-hmm. Do you realize if you own a car, you're in the richest 8% of the whole world? That means 92% of people in the world would love to have what you have. What about your house? Have, have, have you ever been perfectly content with your nine-foot ceilings until you visit the home of someone who has a 12-foot ceiling? And you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you go back to your house and you're like ducking because you, you're all cramped. <laughs> when you're living on purpose, it doesn't matter what other people have because you're pursuing what God has for you. There's nothing more imprisoning than comparison. If you, I'm telling you, if you don't beat this, you'll never be an overcomer. If you don't beat your tendency to judge yourself by looking left and right. If you don't get your worth from what, pursuing what God has for you. If you don't beat that sense to get stuck in er. You'll ne- the problem with er is that there's, all, there's always an est. If you make a million dollars this year, are you richer? Yep. Are you richest? Nope. And if you don't beat this, you know that there's a guy in the world worth 68 billion dollars? And he still goes to work every day trying to make 69. It's amazing. Do you know what the difference between 68 billion and 69 billion is? It's more money than all of us will ever see in our whole life. And this guy's trying to make one more. It's uh, it's in prison. It's not living at all. It's not living at all. How about this? No one forgives, gives, and feeds the poor and serves others on accident. You have to live with full intention. So let me close this out with questions because I want you, to, I want you to, to take what I'm saying and I want you to be able to think through it in your small groups and, and apply this because if you hear it and don't do it, it just makes your life sandy. How about this? If you live accidentally, it will lead to destruction. So here's my, here's my questions for you. What do you desire? Can you clearly define what you want? Can you clearly define what you want? And if you can't, I would urge you over the next seven days to spend some time alone in a room with the Holy Spirit and ask God, God, can you reveal to me what I even want out of life? Do you know what you want? Let me, let me say it another way. I'll ask it this way. How would you know if you got what you were looking for? If you got what you were looking for, how would you know? What does that look like? Let's say it this way. Starting on a daily level, what are you willing to purpose in your heart to do today? What's your plan today? What's your goal? You, you're gonna go home and watch TV or something? Or, or, or what, what's your goal? You're gonna work in the... You, is, is your goal today to get the yard taken care of? Is, is your goal today to grow in relationship with your family. Is your goal today, and there's no bad goal. If your goal is to watch TV, go inside. I, I make that goal sometimes. Some days I put aside and I just watch movies all day because my brain needs a reset button. All I do is study and write. I love to lose myself in a movie. Nothing wrong with that. But at least I'll know if I attain it. What, 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 what's your goal today? Starting on a daily level. What are you going to accomplish today? And if you didn't wake up this morning with full intention of doing something, the day will end and you won't even know what you did. What do you intend to do today? How about this? Is there anything in your life that's not leading you to wholeness? Is there anything you're rationalizing? It's actually slowly but surely leading your life to disrepair. Is there anything you're rationalizing? Next one. Is your life working? Why not? What obviously needs to change for you to have life, light, and increase? And why not make that change now? What are you going to do? Just wait another year? If, if, if you need to lose weight, I could tell you this. It's much easier to lose five kilos than to wait do you need to lose 50. Why not go ahead and lose the five? What are you waiting on? Everybody has their alarm bell day, you know, with weight. It's like they step on the scale and go, okay, that's it. I'm losing weight now. What, what is that for you? You watch The Biggest Loser and you're like, I can't believe it. You've got, you've got people... Here's what I can't believe about The Biggest Loser. You have people who are on a show dedicated to obese people losing weight and then they're all surprised they're obese. Like, I don't care what you weigh as long as you're happy with yourself. It doesn't matter to me. Weigh whatever you'd like as long as you're happy with yourself. But, but, but don't go on a show dedicated to obese people losing weight and then be surprised you're obese. They all stand in their underwear on scale, and it goes beep, 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 and then it comes up however many kilos they weigh, and they all respond the same. It's amazing. Twenty-four out of twenty-four, they all respond the same. <laughs> and then the, then the host has to do a good TV show. The host says, can you tell me what's going on in your heart right now? And they all say the same thing. I can't believe this happened to me. It happened to you. What are you talking about? Your blood type is chicken gravy. What, are you ta- what do you mean? Is, is it, you, you, I mean, I don't like. Are you serious? Like, I don't look, look. Nothing, nothing bothers me about how much people weigh, as long as you're happy with yourself. I think that's, I think that's great. But, but don't have a blood type of chicken gravy and then be surprised. This didn't happen to you. Like, 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 like um, one one contestant I saw was five foot one, 180 kilos, and you're going flip. Well, I'm, where's your alarm button? There, like, wh- wh- what were you thinking at 140? Yeah. I, I had a guy come see me once. He, he said, "This is a disaster. I, I, I'm in an emergency." I said, "What happened?" He said, "I'm 60,000 in debt." I was like, "Today?" <laughs> what did you buy?" The truth is, he had been accumulating debt all, debt all along, but 60,000 was his button. W- where's your panic button financially? Everybody has an internal angst point what, Everybody has imaginary number And, and, and you know it, it's, yours is different than mine Everybody has a number That if your bank account gets below that number It feels like zero to you What is that for you? And does it need to be adjusted? I met a guy whose panic button wasn't until Negative 60,000 I couldn't live with that guy That guy's a maniac, that's crazy stuff to me My, my zero point's way, way higher than that what, 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 do you, what, what do you need to change? And what, do you, what obviously needs to change? And what are you waiting on? You, you, you're waiting to need to lose another two kilos before you start? I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let, let, let's say it this way. Are you willing to be a doer, or are you okay just being a hearer? Are you willing to be a doer, or are you okay just being a hearer? My last question to you is this. Rock or sand? Do you want to land on your feet or do you prefer landing on your face, rock or sand? The choice is yours. I urge you to be guys who overcome but you cannot overcome unless you live with full intention to overcome. This thing will never happen accidentally ever. I urge you to be men of the kingdom who seek God and seek His purposes with full intention, full focus, full dream. Live. With full, clear desires, I urge you to be people like that. Lord, bless us and help us, um, give us the bravery to see things differently. And the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. May we be doers and not just hearers. May we respond today. Amen.